Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, the hilarious Rob Beckett chatting about his ongoing 100-date comedy tour, a Wallop, and shares more than he should do about his upcoming return of Rob versus Ramesh. Actual David Schwimmer and Nick Mohammed discussing the hilarious new Sky One comedy, Intelligence. James Norton tells us about his role as a wartime journalist in the brilliant new film, Mr. Jones, and what he's heard thus far about Mr. Bond. And Tom Kerridge reveals all ahead of this year's Pub in the Park festivals across eight UK locations, plus Claudia Hammond, Rebecca Front, Alan de Botta and Ralph Little all on the way. He's a regular face on the telly, he's a regular mouth on the radio, and he's taking both of those parts of his head on the road this year. <laughs> the latest leg of his monster stand-up tour, Wallop, has just started, and here to tell us all about it is the mouth of the South himself. It's the hilarious and very handsome Mr. Rob Beckett. Hi, Rob. Oh, hello. hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank how you for are having you? me. Yeah, really good. So so how has Wallop um, uh, evolved um, from 2019 to 2020? Because it always evolves a bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, yeah, it's sort of the core of the, the material's the same, but what, what happens is I'll write on stage, so I had a tiny couple of lines about smoking, which has turned into a 10-minute routine. Ooh, nice. And it just sort of evolves as I go. So if you come and saw me at the start in 2019 at one of the early gigs in by Leeds, it, it will have changed. <laughs> but I can't call it a new show. Some people get a new joke and go, oh, I'll save that. I'll save that for three years' time. I can't do that. Right. I'm bored of it by then. So yeah, yeah. I like to do it and it feels fresh and exciting. And near enough, every show I'll try a new line or a new joke and stuff like that. So it keeps it exciting and fresh for me. And I don't really write anything down. I haven't got that written down, that show. So I've amazing. got bullet points, which is a bit scary and dangerous, but... Sometimes I start a joke and I remember the end of it halfway through, yeah. which gives me a little kick of excitement <laughs> yeah. and it makes it feel like it's the first time I've ever said it. Which is Because it, I'm laughing at it again because I've remember I've just found out what the punchline is because I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, I remember it. Yes! There's, sometimes you do start a bit, you go, I don't know how this ends. So you've got to find it. You're having like a chat in your head. And then normally I do find the punchline. But okay. uh, yeah. You're, you say there's Jesse and Billy Connolly that I've ever met and interviewed and been. Uh, I, 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 um, lucky enough to be in the pleasure of they'd have they'd just write bullet points down and go and do three hours well yeah oh well that's, well, that's good company it's to be in good, isn't yeah, it? I, I, I don't know if I'm doing it as well as him but I'm trying well, one little trick though mm-hmm. that I may do which he started doing was he'd on his backdrop would just have a load of random words it looked like yes. but they were the bullet points Right. so if he ever didn't know where he was in the set he could look round see a bullet point and do that routine that's so like he's an elementary table of comedy. Yeah, so it was behind him. It looked like random words, Beautiful. but to him, it was his like to-do list yeah, for the show. Yeah, his craft. Yeah. Can you, do you mind recounting the story of you going to watch the cricket with Ramesh? Oh, yeah, so me and Ramesh were in uh, South Africa <laughs> watching the cricket, and uh, we were watching it, and then I, went on the, I was holding a pint, and I went on the big screen, and, you know, I'm... Well, I'm going to down the pine, aren't I? I mean, you, ha- you have to down the pine. It's not a thought process yeah. for me. That is why would you not down? the Well, pine? yeah, exactly. That's more the question. Not why did you? So I thought this would be funny. Down that pine. That was officially on my first day back at work in 2020 as well. This is for you for the Sky Show. Yeah. So me and Romesh, it's not officially announced, but we were in South Africa watching the cricket, and there was a camera crew. So okay, make your what's own. the show called again? Uh, Rob and Romesh versus. Right. So this is an episode about cricket, and uh, I was there. I had the pint, downed it. Thought I was just on the big screen in the stadium. I wasn't live on South African TV, live on Sky Sports in the UK. And then immediately, within 30 seconds, my wife texts me a video of me doing it going, what's going on here? I was like, how, how can you be in trouble that quick? <laughs> but everyone says how amazing technology is. It's, ter- it's, her- it's terrible. <laughs> she watches like cricket. Does she? No, she doesn't even like cricket. So someone has filmed it, sent it to her, then she sent it. So even just the admin of the copy and paste it on your thumb on WhatsApp. And I, I thought, how can you get in trouble that quick? Like, I don't want to sound like an old man, but... It was I mean, what you could get away with back in the day. Back Unbelievable. In the day. Oh. All right, you get up to cricket. What else you get up to this year? Uh, we do ballet and basketball. <laughs> Where do you do ballet? Uh, Swan Lake. Where, where though? Oh, in a Southampton Mayflower, 2,000 people. <laughs> so not like Moscow or somewhere like that? No, so we went to the uh, Birmingham Royal Ballet Company. Right, which is uh, fair enough. Uh, to learn, and they're a mate. It's one of the best in the world. And then we yeah, we get involved in a bit of Swan Lake. But uh, yeah, that's that. Is, they are machines. But I never realised how amazing ballet dancers oh, are. Oh, I've hung about with ballet dancers in the past. And what they do is when they've got a big show on, three yeah. hours at night, they're rehearsing the next show in the day for the new run. And yeah. then when that hits the stage, they're all, they double, re- they double rehearse all the time. It's it's insane. There's six, six days a week they do at this ballet company, and it's like it's they do two hours of warm up before they do any rehearsals. But that, that's funny. We went to LA for the basketball and did some health oh, treatments out there. Um, the I don't want to give too much away, but there's uh, there Staple, may be Staples Center. 
I went to, yeah, we, we played basketball at the Staples Centre. We went to a clinic and did a uh, colonic, which I think could be one of the best or worst things. A colonic clinic? A colonic <laughs> irrigation, <laughs> me and Ron Schwitcher's... <laughs> Have you ever had a colonic? Yeah, well, you can have you can have parties, can't you? Where you go oh. with your mates and you sit on you sit on on cushions and you have a chat. You can actually have a cocktail and stuff. But yeah. you're all, it's all being done to all of you. Well, uh, I, is this what I, I don't know what they did to me, but there was no <laughs> way I could have had a chat during it. Well, you, you're looking very well, let <laughs> oh, me tell you. Oh God, <laughs> you look somewhat I, cleansed. The only time I've been speechless, it was oh, what that is. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I thought we'd go. I mean, I don't know. With a colonic, obviously, I mean, I don't know. How we say, but there's a tube involved into right. an area. It's a grown-up audience. Okay, they, they put a tube in your bum, don't they? Yeah. And then they fill you with water to flush you out. Okay. I thought the tube going in would be the worst part. No, it weren't. Even coming out was hard work, and they just fill you with water. I felt like a pinata, like a watery pinata. <laughs> oh, it was awful. Yeah, so me and Robert just did that. And then, oh, and then, yeah, we went to South Africa as well, went on safari. So, so, so much amazing stuff on it. I and wonder where so... they're going to put the colonic episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, either first or last. It's going to be, isn't it? I, I was in pain laughing first. at Romesh getting go a colonic. Go first. Also, <laughs> also to be honest, I can... <laughs> I can face, so, I can his so... face didn't change, Chris. Can... He still looked, he looked <laughs> as miserable as he did like hosting the Royal Variety, getting a, his face didn't change but I knew he was sad <laughs> but it was funny about him he's such a private person isn't he I know, I know. his personal boundaries are like <laughs> immense they're like they're like made of lead aren't they so oh. for him to open himself up literally to that I mean yeah and he really he really opened himself up how did they up. get him to do that I don't know I don't know how they get us to, I think it's because maybe it's the new rummish I think it's because we we're, we're, we are proper mates and we have a laugh and get carried away we're like yeah that's because we're so excited to be doing the show together and we love it I don't know how they get us to do this stuff no I can get I understand with respect I understand mm. I'm getting you to do it, but to yeah. get him to do that. Oh, oh, what are you trying to say, Chris? I'm the kind of guy that just wanders around with his bum out, hoping yeah. someone no, will colonic him. I'm just saying, Romish is such such a yeah. you know, he's such a close book at times, and other times, you know, not so. But that's that, I think that's the opening of a new horizon. For well, yeah, it definitely was. It's not fully shut since, to be honest. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Being a spy is all adventure, cocktail parties, and concealed weapons, or according to our next guests the total opposite. The Sky Original Intelligence starts later this month on Sky One and here to tell us all about it, it's writer and star Nick Mohammed and a man you might recognise if you've ever watched a television. It's David <laughs> Swimmer! <laughs> hi David, hi Nick! Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome! Alright, so uh, Nick, first of all, yes. tell, tell everybody about your show. Now we've seen a couple of episodes, we love it, it's hysterical, it's awkward, it's naughty, it's everything you want it to be. Where Thank did it you. come from? Um, so, it came from, I guess, sort of my love of those kind of big institutions where they're quite sort of mundane, I guess, on a daily basis, but actually the backdrop to it is huge. Like, the stakes are huge. So in this case, it's about GCHQ, so national security is a big old backdrop, but you've just got these quite humdrum people sort of going about their sort of daily lives and sort of awkward social conversations. Yeah, and on. it is very hum, and it is very drum. And we, we've had our, our, our involvement with MI5. They came to see us once. Did um, they? Yeah, they came to, on the show. They were recruiting, recru- recruiting for new agents. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not joking. Oh. No, I'm, not, no, I'm really, really Absolutely not joking. True. Oh, wow. And they came on the show, and we had a special microphone to disguise the voice of the person that we interviewed um, and um, but the, the jobs they were they were saying are available didn't see they weren't very James Bond like and this is the whole point isn't it I suppose uh, yeah I guess so I guess GCHQ I mean I don't want to sort of speak out of turn because the work they do is extraordinary no no of course but, no, but it's, no it's absolutely but, extraordinary and vital to our homeland security absolutely, but it's just but it's, it's not what you think maybe it's more kind of sort of it's quite desk heavy and there's a lot of number crunching sort of a lot of sort of data office sort politics of, a lot of office politics <laughs> you know we did lots of research and you know GCHQ I think have got acquire and do the sort of like sort of cake sales now, you every... don't think this you know this because they offered you help didn't they they were very they were very they, <laughs> I, I hear I they met you in the middle yeah, unfold we... your arms <laughs> yeah maybe they did but I think the main thing is that they don't want to be seen to massively endorse the show because obviously there's quite a lot of artistic license because it yeah. is I have to say it's a piece of fiction but it's based on a real place right but, but yeah they yeah to an extent they were very forthcoming okay very David nice. Schwimmer actual David Schwimmer when and how did you come on board? Uh, I came on board. Uh, Nick, Nick, and I had met uh, met on another project. Um, had a great time, uh, kind of improvising together. I thought, I still think he's a comic genius. So Very he sent comic. me. Uh, he just, you know, emailed me this idea, and I was like, "That's really original and really funny." And I'm, uh, let's do it. And then he, you know, he worked with Expectation Entertainment to. 
uh, form the first outline and treatment, and he sent that along, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. Uh, and the idea of working with him as an actor as well, um, because we both also love to improvise, um, and some of it, it, although it's all scripted, <laughs> there are moments that we get to kind of go off script together yeah. and, and just, you know, play these guys. It's so obvious, and it's so awkward that you go, oh my God. Um, so, because so, the characters are amazing. So, first of all, let's outline your two characters. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I play a, just a very junior analyst um pretty sort of bad at his job but i guess sort of has sort of been there for a few years and sort of just want to because it's public office as well i guess sort of quite difficult to sort of sack someone there's probably quite a process to it it's quite bureaucratic and well I can say, but uh, David plays a uh, uh, an uh, NSA like quite a high-ranking NSA agent who sort of is NSA agent. Yeah, NSA yeah. means so oh, national, national security, security, security agency. agency. Yeah, so I play this guy uh, uh, who's uh, very patriotic, um, narcissist, uh, uh, safe to say, misogynist, racist, uh, racist homophobic, <laughs> um, power-hungry. Uh, you know. Uh, um, American, uh, conservative American, who um, has never been... Way right, way right. Well, I'm not... We, we never say uh, exactly, explicitly <laughs> what party, quite, what party he belongs to. But um, he comes over, he thinks he's been promoted but, but with this new program in, in the UK. Uh, in, in We come to learn he's actually been demoted um, and that he's got this backstory which leaks out episode to episode uh, where he's um, really... Uh, they're, they're trying to brush him off and hide him uh, in a way because he's under investigation for interference with uh, the last election. <laughs> <laughs> it's not based on anything no. real. <laughs> no, well, not, I, I not, can't think of anything. I not can, nothing piece. comes to mind. No. Not immediately no. anyway. I mean, I could no. give it a bit of thought, but no, not, not, not off the top of my head. Uh, right, so uh, Nick, uh, yes. you are you are not the tallest man in the world. No. Okay, no. Um, and, and David is not... And I am. No, 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 you're not, but in the... He's officially the tallest man in the world. But, but when you yeah. came in today... Yes. Right, I you thought, think it was an optical illusion? I thought, no, no. no but, but as you walked towards me, you didn't get any bigger, but that's not the point. Um, the, the, in the show, do you accentuate the camera shots so you look much smaller? Because David looks massive. <laughs> there was one of them. That I think the, there's a scene where it's as if it's from like a, almost like a fisheye, like a security camera. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. camera's sort of right up in the corner and it's almost like a fisheye lens. So I think that may be done. I mean, I'm hoping that's the case. And maybe I mean, I'm just really, I mean, I'm five foot four. How, how tall are you? Six one. See, I thought, because mm. I presumed you were about that, that height. But with the shoes I'm wearing yeah. too, uh, I guess 6'2", I mean... But in the yeah. show, you look like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and I thought, Schwimmer's not that big, is he, for heaven's sake? No. It's just because I am so small. I have it in my contract that all cameras have to be very low, so I, it you know, makes me look only incredibly short, tall. Shorter actors. <laughs> You're finishing publicity for this next Wednesday. We have this massive uh, launch of the Sky New Season, mm-hmm. which is full of absolute stellar, stellar content. And it's at the Tate Modern. It's next Wednesday. Then you go back to America, and then you're back here in May, hopefully to film season two. So you've got to, you've got to film the whole of the new Friends um, in March <laughs> and April. That's incredible, isn't it? That is There's 23 incredible. Eps in, I mean, I know that's you're good and you've done that's, it before. I'm, I'm quick. Like, I'm quick. I, like, I learn my lines very like quickly. One every so. two days. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that, well, that's ambitious. Well, good luck with that. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. No, cheers. That's another one. Okay. All right. Uh, you're free to go. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest is bringing to life the incredible true story of Welsh journalist Gareth Jones, who in 1933 uncovered the shocking truth around Stalin's atrocities. Mr. Jones is out in cinemas today and here to tell all is a man that's heavily rumoured to soon be shaken and not stirred. It's the brilliant James Norton. Yeah, okay, stop that, stop that, you pesky dapper Dave. Good morning, James. Good morning, good morning. Okay, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, Your film is pretty uh, spectacular and very, very important. Uh, Let's tell everybody what it's about. So it's about um, a relatively well, unknown journalist called Gareth Jones, who in 1933 uh, sort of broke into Russia and to the Soviet Union, um, wandered through Ukraine and discovered what we now know as the Holodomor, which was essentially a man-made famine which, uh, in which Stalin systematically killed millions and millions of people. Um, and it's terrifying, as we were just discussing, because very few people know really what the Holodomor is, and um, yet, let alone what, who Gareth Jones was. And this man was a total hero. He blew the whistle on the Soviet Union was the first person to do so. so. All right, let's talk about the character first of all. So the, how you portray him. So he's, he's a Welsh chap. 
So he was a very uh, earnest, serious, um, very intelligent man, studied modern languages at Cambridge, um, was always described as quite short and earnest and bespectacled with a little notepad, he furiously writing away, um, but was also incredibly brave. And um, as I say, he kind of went on this mission single-handed, totally on his own um, accord. And... um, and yeah, basically, you know, changed the the kind of landscape of modern Europe as we know it, but hasn't really been recognised for it. No, and he was working with the Foreign Office, and he was the most important person uh, advising the, the 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 Foreign Office at the time. But then he was fired. Uh, he was done away with because people thought he was too. Uh, I guess, yeah, in those days, uh, he was a troublemaker. Bra- yeah, I mean, he was one of those brazen investigative journalists who wanted to find the truth against, you know, all uh, all odds, um, despite all the risks. And I mean, you know, talk about today, we're just we're discussing about how kind of the, re- the relevance of today. He was one of those people who put uh, empirical truth above all um, agenda and ideology and um paid the ultimate price for that pursuit of truth he he it paid his he paid his life for it he he died um the day before his 30th birthday and so how come who did who hasn't covered his story and how come you're getting to tell it now at the cinema well the the tragedy of of Gareth Jones and this is obviously you know this is public knowledge so it's not going to ruin the film we actually don't really get to this point but after he had blown the whistle and came back with this this truth about the Soviet Union and finally persuaded people that this was ultimately going on and that the collectivization and, and the Soviet Union were causing these deaths he then went on another mission in when he was 29 into Mongolia and the day before his 30th birthday he was um, shot by a, tri- a, a tribe um, out there and then and since then it's but it's fairly clear that 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 those people were hired by the Soviet Union oh, so really they got him in the end yeah but the re- but that ultimately meant that he had le- led a very very short life and died at 29 and um, never really made his mark beyond this this one uh, one instance so who's who's the, where's the passion come from you know where, where does the will come to tell this story who, who right. who's the driving force behind this so film? our right well so he his family um, Margaret Co- um, Coley who uh, and um, Nigel Coley that the, Gareth's um, uh, relatives have championed him for years and have amassed amazing amounts of resources and they were incredibly helpful in um, making the film and um, our amazing screenwriter Andrea she basically was her family from Ukraine originally and she um, found this story and uh, has has fought it, fought for it, and really? wrote it. I think yeah, twelve years in development. I was going to say it feels like one of those stories where it's, they've been knocking on as many doors as they can, saying somebody's got to tell this story. It feels like it's got that gravitas behind it. I think so. And what was deeply moving was that a lot of some of the pieces. For example, there's a scene when, and again, not to ruin anything, but and um, but Gareth witnesses. Um, a cart being driven through a village. I remember, if you remember that scene, yeah. and it's full of dead bodies, men, men and women who have starved. And he sees uh, a, a young child, a toddler, sitting next to his dead mother, and the child is still alive. And these men just throw the dead body onto the cart and then throw the toddler on. And it's horrendous. It's the most horrific, harrowing scene. And Gareth witnessed that. That was a scene, an, an eyewitness account of from Andreas grandfather so you know that what some of these things which we uh, which we add to gareth's journey and it's some most of it is his journey and some of it is written and we do take a little artistic license but um you know to to know that, that was what her grandfather was just what yeah so james you are at the focus you're in the the eye of the 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 sort of showbiz storm that is the next james bond and you you volunteered this information you said Look, none of it's true what does that mean none of it's true what are you saying <laughs> what are you saying here now <laughs> exactly none of it is true none it, of it's true None of it. Well, well the I conjecture's mean, true. Maybe that there is journalists who know more than me, but as far as I am concerned, what they put in the papers is is nonsense. They, they, it's. I think it's very good clickbait. And uh, if you notice that when anyone's on telly, um, they're often at the f- the centre of the conversation. But unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever you think, um, uh, it's people making stories. I okay. promise you, I promise no, you. No, I, I get it, I get all that, but I mean, you know, I've been doing this for a while, you know, and yeah. you can sort of, you can feel whether the heat is synthetic or whether it's real. The, the, to me, there's a sense of reality about this heat because it's coming from certain places and they're staying on it, you know. Um, so, you know, he'll might disagree because it's about you and you are you. So, but I would say there is something in it, maybe. 
I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, I have not had a single conversation beyond beyond conversations like this. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so I uh, and I mean, I hope Daniel Craig might do one or two more. No, he's he, not. You know, no, that's you know, not going to happen. That's just no, not no. going to happen. Well, he's no, he's not going to do. He's not going to do any more. Maybe, maybe there are conversations going on, but they're not involving me. So you've never had a conversation with anybody about it to do with Eon Productions? No. Nope. Have you had a conversation with your agent about it? No. You must have had a chat about it. Well, we maybe have like, oh, there's a nut, there's a nut. No, here we go. So when do you start? <laughs> You're doing Thank very you. well, aren't you? Thank well done, James. Likewise, likewise. You've got my vote. And mine. And mine. For anything you would oh, like thanks, to do guys. in the future. Thanks, 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 no, thanks. Appreciate it. Right, James. James, another round of applause. Thank you, James Norton, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Mr. Jones, which is a fantastic tale, is uh, out today nationwide. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Ralph Little chats all about his new role as D.I. Neville Parker in the latest series of the long-running BBC series Death in Paradise. Alan de Botton tells us how to think more effectively and how to get on with your colleagues with his two new School of Life books. Rebecca Front discusses Sky's hilarious sci-fi comedy Avenue 5. And Claudia Hammond shares the best ways to relax with her new book, The Art of Rest. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? Last year alone, over 120,000 thousand people ate, drank and danced to our next guest tune and you can do it all again this year. Tickets are on sale now for his brilliant pub in the Park Festival and here to tell us more is a man that knows his way around a muddy field just as well as a busy kitchen. It's the superb Tom Carriage. Good morning, morning Tom. Morning. What a show to be part of this is so, hey, It's isn't amazing, it? isn't it? It's yeah. having the next James Bond. Brilliant. I'm loving this. Okay, there are rumours about you being the next caterer for the next James Bond. Yeah, uh, I'm going to do a little van on the outside doing bacon sandwiches for all the actors. I, I would quite happily do it. I'm not denying that. I, I'm going to have that conversation with my agent, see if I can make bacon sandwiches for the cast of James Bond. I'm, I'm up for that. There are many, many pubs in Great Britain, thank yes. God. Uh, there are too many closing, but that's the way the world is uh, now. But support your local pub if you can. There are many, many pubs and there are many, many parks, but pub in the park brings the two cultures together. Boom. Yes, it's kind of like the greatest pub beer garden <laughs> festival thing that goes on in the summer. We're doing eight of them this year. And, you know, last year we were so lucky with the weather the atmosphere, the energy. It's basically, you come along, you eat loads of food, you have a wonderful time, you drink loads of booze, and then you listen to great music acts. And it's, it's generally, we just try to create this amazing pub garden effect and, and it works so, so well. It's been, This is its fourth year. We started it in Marlow, beautiful, on the river, amazing, just did one. Then this year we're doing eight. We're all over the place. We're in. We're, we're revisiting um, Warwick, Bath, uh, Tunbridge Wells, Chiswick and St Albans, but we're going to new places. We're going to Dulwich and Chichester this year as well. Well so. remembered. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'd say remembered. I've got a piece of paper in that front of me. very impressive. But thank you very much. Um, and you have a unique way of selling the food, don't you? Yeah, so everything's a fiver, basically. You turn up, you come in, and everything's a fiver. It means you can eat in loads of... Basically, I invite all my chef mates, most of which have got Mission Stars or great restaurants, and they turn up and they cook food that they want to eat. So it's kind of like it's fried chicken, it's hot dogs, it's... it's, it's if it's you went fit, to a barbecue like at their house, in the garden, exactly this is probably that. what they've cooked. That is exactly it. It's like if you're going around a chef's house, right, but like a top chef's house, and they're cooking you food, and that's exactly what it is and everything's a fiver and you can eat as many different people things as possible we've got Steve Terry who comes with us on tour everywhere we've got Andrew Perrin we've got Angela Hartnett Claude Bozzi Out of Culture Paul Ainsworth Paul's hosting one of them this year James Martin is hosting two of them Marcus Waring is coming along and hosting Chiswick as well so we've got some brilliant top chefs cooking some amazing 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 food but it's funny isn't it because you know you go to festivals and you go around the corner here and there's some amazing food at Borough Market available but you know six quid seven quid eight quid uh, and it, but it's, it's special and it's good and it's better than you, you know it's a pretty high bar but this is a fiver and you don't it doesn't really get any better and what's lovely about it is that and I have no vested interest in this whatsoever is that it's just that you get the taste that you want for, for you know four, five, six mouthfuls and then you can move on because one of the problems with tasting menus when you go to various restaurants is that they, it takes too long I call them waiting menus because um, you just wait forever <laughs> and, and in the end you feel really weird and full and you think oh, I'm not sure I enjoyed that but this is sort of the opposite yeah it does because you, you can wander around you basically. can wander you just, you just wander don't around don't wait wander <laughs> 
pick something up, have something to eat, wander off to the next point whilst having a pint of cider on the way. Bumping, and, uh, like, bumping into Mark Harmon. Bumping into Mark Harmon. Listen Can't to him. wait. Let's do this. It's 24 cell album. It's 24 cell album. One on one. I'm, I'm, behind I'm, the I'm there. I'm there now. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and do you know what? Tops it all. We've got Craig David in I know, mind. I, I mean, know. it's so, so for me. It's, he's it's, playing this a lot is, of them, isn't he, Craig he, David? He's doing a DJ set and he's doing he's doing he's doing Marlowe. He's headlining Saturday night. We've got the Kaiser Chiefs coming back as well. They're doing Chiswick. We've got Basement Jacks doing rude. DJ it's sets. Just rude. Basement Jacks DJ You're just sets being are very rude. incredible. Stop it. I mean, there's like fireworks and stuff. Stop I mean, it what, with what your event. You Stop <laughs> it with your brilliant <laughs> event. Uh, Tom, what else should we say about popping the park? Come and support me, James Martin, Marcus Waring, Angela Hartnett, Paul Ainsworth. Come and eat loads. Come and see Mark Almond, Craig David, Top Loader, Rudimental. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many people and coming. And nobody it's gives be lives better than Mark and Kaiser Chiefs because they are just tops. Unbelievable. Well, we're almost done. So we're almost finished, aren't we, for the day? Um, on the radio, that is. Uh, what are you up to for the rest of the day, Tom Kerridge? I am talking about pub in the park a little bit more. And then I'm going into oh. Kerridge's Bar and Grill where I should be doing service. And service! Service! Where I... I I should be. I should be in the restaurant in London all day today. So. How many? How many chefs do you have at the Bar and Grill? Uh, about eighteen. About eighteen. Chefs. Eighteen chefs. Chefs. Yeah. By yeah. the way, yeah. that's there are other people there too. Yeah. But eighteen actual chefs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and how has how how has the Brexit thing gone so far for everything? Is it changed things straight away or no? It hasn't changed any much straight away. Although we're all kind of bracing ourselves for price See increases and staff issues and you know like it's. I mean it's. The, the one thing is, it's going to affect everybody, isn't it? You know, it's, it's everybody, everyone in the, everything that we're built on for the hospitality industry is based on food and farming. So, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see what, see what happens. happens. We'll wait and see what happens. And then how's the turnover of stuff? Because the one thing about the catering industry, which I've had a bit of experience, as you know, yeah. it's, it's keeping staff or uh, almost sort of, in a way, the best way to keep them is to tell them in, in, assure them that they can leave whenever they want and then they feel less pressure yeah. to have to stay but then like, ironically they stay for a bit longer yeah we're, we're hugely supportive of staff that are in the business that people that have been with us for a long long time but we've got people that have been with us for decades and they grow we're, we're, we're really into personal and professional growth within the company so people that want to do their own thing we'll encourage them to get as much training as they can with us learn as much as possible and then we'll actively help them try and find their own space if they want to or do what they want to do and, and, and make sure that they're looked after and at the same point that way you, you having key staff and keeping them growing within the business is really important because then when people come through and guests come through the door they recognize a face and the face gets recognized and it, it, it just makes everything a nicer place to be well i know because i you know i frequent your places yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. too far too often but i love it i love it a friday nights me and tash best time ever uh, thanks to tom i mean and my, and my wife obviously but mostly tom no 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 I didn't mean that. She, she, she knows. She, she, I hope she. Oh, please, God, she knows I didn't mean that. Uh, but, um, hey, well, Tom, thanks for coming. You're always welcome. You know that. Thank you. And I'll so see you. Much. By the way, um, do you want to sell the boat? Your boat? Uh, to be honest, my boat's gone. And I, I tell you. What, well, in the river? The flood, the flood. Yeah, the flood came. We woke up one morning, looked out the window, and Beth went, hey, the boat's gone. I was like, what? So the boat had gone, right? So we got a tiny little tiny little boat, right? And it was attached to the pontoon. And actually, it wasn't just the boat had gone. The boat and the pontoon, the whole thing had gone. Disappeared down the river. No we way. Are, it has been found. Don't worry, it has been found. But yeah, it, the whole oh, thing... Oh, so that was lovely as well. <laughs> See, yeah, it, you know, someone will repair it. It'll turn up. It was fine. All right. Oh. <laughs> Why, do you want to buy a boat? No, you no. did, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I, I was in the microphone, but I, I found one about a mile down the river uh, last yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He shot to fame over 20 years ago in the royal family and now joins the long-running hit show Death in Paradise, which continues tomorrow night on BBC One. Here to explain just how awful it is filming on a beautiful Caribbean island. Please welcome the man with the worst job in the world. It's Ralph Little. <laughs> Morning, Ralph. Hello. Uh, so, Ralph, you have bagged one of the best jobs on the telly. I yeah. mean, in many ways, it's like, you know... it. It's it's the bond it's the bagging the bond version job of telly, isn't it? So <laughs> yes. if if people don't know what Death in Paradise is, why don't you tell them? Oh, uh, Death in Paradise is uh, now long running uh, BBC One detective show um, set in the fictional Caribbean island of Saint Marie, uh, filmed on the real Caribbean island of uh, Guadeloupe, which is a French Caribbean island, and um, I play the latest in a line of British detectives that go out to. Uh, usually end up going out there to solve crimes uh, against uh, British holidaymakers or expats and then end up staying and working on the island. It's basically Colombo in the Caribbean. It is Colombo in the Caribbean <laughs> and some, uh, to say the least. So, yeah. so 
when you <laughs> tell us about the moment you get a call to, to go and work as an actor for what we're doing what you do for a living in the caribbean and getting paid for it yeah it's um it's pretty amazing i have to say it was uh sort of may last year um and um I was in Ireland. I told, yeah, I forgot this. I was in Ireland. I was I was going down the west uh, west coast of Ireland cause with my girlfriend, who's American, and she wanted to see the west coast of Ireland. And like you do if you're British, you're a bit like, oh, Ireland's not very... You sort of take things for granted when you're over here. And I was driving down the west coast of Ireland going, this is amazing. Why have I never been here before? And we were in um, Dingle Bay, and we were about to go and see the dolphin that lives in Dingle Bay, Fungi the dolphin. And we were parking up in the drizzle and the rain. And I was going, this is still going to be a good day, even though it's raining. And I get a call, it's my agent. And they went, so you're the new detective in Death in Paradise. I was like, this is the best day ever. And now I get to see a dolphin. So yeah, it was um, it was surreal and brilliant. And um, yeah, just pretty unbelievable. Um, so you don't become the same DI as the last one. You're a new DI. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And so Arden leaves. Um, well, he left last week. Yeah. So how did he? I didn't see episode four. How did he go? Um, Ardell left uh, uh, for love. Well, well, he he sort of fell in love and then um, wasn't sure if he was going to stay. wasn't sure if he was going to leave. He he was fight. He'd had a tragedy. He lost his wife. So in the end, it was like uh, for him, it was time to go back and reconnect with the reality of his life that he was running away from. Right, and your your DI is, you are DI Neville Parker. Neville Parker, yes. Tell us about, ne why Neville Parker? Did you discuss the name or was it just thrust upon you? Actually, the, yeah, no, I didn't get to discuss that. I was very lucky I got to, to develop the character with the, with the producers. So they were great about that. But no, the name was already set. Uh, I Neville didn't get Parker. To, Neville Parker. Nosy Parker. Yeah, Nosy exactly. Neville Parker. Oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that, but that, that might stick now for Gary now. Gary Neville Parker. <laughs> yeah. Phil Neville Parker. Neville Neville Parker. Yeah. Isn't that that Neville Neville? Yes, Neville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their sister? Tracy, Tracy, Tracy Neville. Neville yeah. um, very successful, of course, yeah. um, in her own right, in the sporting world. So um, you arrive uh, for, for a one-off case. Yes, so the idea is um, I uh, somebody in, in San Marie, the, the fictional island, um, it's a suspected suicide. The police think it's a suicide. It has all the hallmarks of a suicide. It looks like a suicide. Open and shut case, but... Uh, the victim's from Manchester, so it needs somebody from Manchester CID, which is me, to come over and uh, sign it off, basically. Come in and go, yep, I agree, sign the form and fly home again. So Neville's only really supposed to be there for like two hours and then and then leave. And he really doesn't want to stay. He really doesn't want to stay. But because of his his brilliance, his detective <laughs> detect, detective brilliance, uh, he um, he spots some... Uh, there's one little detail that he spots that just he just can't let go of, and he's like, something's not right here, and he won't sign it off, and he's like... I think this is a murder case. And so they say, all right. And I say, he still wants to leave. And they go, well, if it's a murder case, you're going to stay and solve it. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not my job. I'm, I'm supposed to need to go back. And they're like, it is your job. You're here now. So that's how he, that's how he ends up staying, at least for a few weeks. And, uh, and then they offer to put him up in um, the most beautiful beach shot you've ever seen in your life. Please tell me that really exists and they didn't just make it for the show. Well, they they did. They build it for the show. Oh. So, but so it's a, it exists. It's a real it's a real shack on the beach and it's absolutely stunning. Right on the beach, isn't it? And I when I've had I my first day, remind you are getting paid for doing it's, all this. Honestly, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Every location you go to, you go really. We're filming here, um, and this shack on the beach that I just walked in, and you know it's a very it's a famous place in the show um which has been you know, what nine nine seasons of this show so people love the shack on the beach where the detective lives and i walked in and you know i'm a fan of the show i was like i cannot believe i'm here and i looked and i, and I, I was genuinely saying to me she's like look i mean i don't need to stay like in the in the hotel I, i'll stay here and they're like <laughs> look <laughs> it's not insured it's not a real it's not plumbed in yeah. and i was like please is there any chance i can stay here i think probably the reality of it would be a little bit um mosquitoy and hot but apart from that it's stunning before you go um tell us about the most needless caveat uh clause negotiated into an actor's contract on on your behalf by your agent oh the uh, <laughs> the three-year thing yeah, yeah so so my agent was like um okay well they um they, they've 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 asked for three years for you to sign a contract you know assuming assuming it goes well i mean if i'm terrible in the show then they'll sack me um but yeah they, they've asked for three years and my agent was like but i've managed to sort of negotiate that down um and in case you know you, you don't want to go back and i was like why would i not want to go back um so yeah i can't i mean we'll see <laughs> but my my girlfriend was like maybe you'll be working in america and i was like maybe but maybe. i still i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be wanting to do this yeah. well uh, ralph uh, well done mate 
Thanks, really, I'm really pleased for you. Thanks. Uh, Death in Paradise is back tomorrow, episode five. It's uh, Ralph's first one is the brand new D.I. D.I. Neville Parker, NBC One's ninth series of the long-running drama Death in Paradise. Episode five of eight is tomorrow night at 9pm on BBC One. And all going well, uh, Ralph will be there for a couple of years to come. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you've watched a brilliant British comedy in the last 20 years, our next guest has most likely been in it. <laughs> she stars in the new Sky One space comedy Avenue 5, which continues tomorrow night at 10pm so without further ado please bow curtsy tip your cap sit back and enjoy the comedy legend that is Rebecca Front morning Rebecca <laughs> I love that introduction welcome come closer to the microphone so we can get can you uh, just greet me like that front. every morning I yeah, would he love will, that he will he uh, will for a price <laughs> um, so Rebecca Armando Inucci he was on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about Avenue 5 and you've worked with him before um, yes. Is it is it always the same kind of experience or, or is it different depending on the project it's this this was a bigger scale project I mean the broadly the Armando experience is, is always similar which is basically he's, he surrounds himself with very very nice very very funny people so you have a lovely lovely time oh, that's the Armando experience good. with a bit of improv and a bit of kind of you know you never quite know where you're going with it and it's great uh, but the scale of this is quite different from knowing me knowing you or anything that we did back in the day so for people who aren't aware of Avenue 5 A, why not, especially if you have Sky uh, but B, can you tell them about it please? Avenue 5 is set 40 years in the future on a space cruise ship um, so it's all very glitzy, very smooth everything's wonderful, Hugh Laurie is our captain, we're all having a wonderful time and then something goes <laughs> fractionally wrong but if something goes fractionally wrong in space it goes massively ca- catastrophically wrong and we're knocked off course and suddenly we find that we're not on a six week cruise, we're actually going to be stuck up there for three years So it's HBO. It's an HBO and Sky production mm. uh, which is why we get it weekly we can't, we can't, watch, we can't devour all the episodes at once because HBO still love the old fashioned way of yeah. uh, linear broadcasting which is why Curb Your Enthusiasm episode 2 season 10 is only available today as opposed to again you know all available last week when season 10 started not dissimilar with your show that's right and so we're looking forward to Wednesday at 10pm Sky 1 for uh, HBO and Sky's third episode in nine episodes of the first season of Avenue 5 now how has it gone down in America? Have you been to America to do any promo? Yes, we went about two weeks ago. There was a big launch. Um, this is this is my first American TV thing. So I've done you know a lot of press launches in the UK mm. and I've done American movies, but I've always been a fairly small part, so I haven't kind of done big press launches. So that was a whole other thing. Tell, going us, to tell LA. us about it because I've done a couple of those in the yeah, past. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I mean, it was I loved it. I actually really loved it. You know, they they fly you out on a swanky plane and you turn. <laughs> left when you go on never turned left on a plane before um and and then it's kind of lovely hotel suite and they sent me this thing saying you know would you like to select which hair and makeup team you would like and i was thinking do i have to I pay for this because just... i haven't got that kind of money but these lovely lovely wonderful guys turned up you know the first morning with wheelie cases and you know hot rollers and and makeup things and not that you it need it rebecca great. come on not yes, that rebecca needs waiting. it for heaven's sake but it was come on guys Jeez, i just thought i you know i could live with this i could have this every day it that is... would be all right they do it differently in Los Angeles. They really do. They just do, don't they? they? Do. That's the thing. And because it's HBO, it's a seven-year, potentially a seven-year deal, Rebecca. Potentially, yes. I've, it's, it is a sort of like a golden handcuff, which is, yeah. which is kind of wonderful. I mean, there's other stuff. I can do lots of other stuff, but in terms of telly, there are certain limitations. But I've never had anything like that placed on me before, so it's kind of quite exciting. Now, Hugh, of course, signed up for um, House. And he, that was a seven-year deal. And I remember him talking to us about it, saying, you know, well, I didn't think it would last for seven years. Yeah, <laughs> but, of yeah, course, it did, do. didn't it? Yeah. And it, it was, his was 20-odd episodes a year for yeah. seven years. And you have to stay. And your family have to say this was over in Los Angeles of yeah. course um, and but you're you're filming here so it's a different kettle of fish mm. um, have you talked to him about, about the seven year phenomenon I know that because I'd, I'd I'd probably heard him talking to you about it in fact so I know that that was yeah that, that it is quite a big deal I think I mean I've always avoided what they call pilot season you know where you go over and you just try out lots of pilots because you have to sign up for those deals yeah now I wouldn't mind quite so much because my kids are, have, you know, flown the nest and they're at university and so on. But when the kids were little, my American manager would sort of, at the time, would ring up and say, come over and do this. And I just used to go, but I can't make that work because if it did get picked up, I'm going to be away from my kids for months and months and months on end every year for seven years. I can't, I won't do that. I can't do it. So Good I just didn't you. for a long time. But um 
now I sort of think, you know, actually, if if something like that came up, I probably would be a bit more tempted to go for it. But it's yeah, it's it's very very difficult to make that work with normal life. I think. And so, uh, what things were you nearly in? Oh, um, I don't know if I can talk about any <laughs> well, of that. No, well, in my... fact, come I'd on. Say in mo- <laughs> most cases, actually, I didn't go for it at all. I didn't. Uh, well, what try what it, kind of programs were, were mentioned? There was one. There was uh, Fraser. The, the Fraser, one, Fraser. No, the only one that I really regret trying was um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. There was a part which I won't say what part it was. I wouldn't have got it anyway because uh, the person who got it is a genius. Uh, but it was it was a thing in that, and that was something where I did kind of think. Oh, Maybe. But anyway, uh, but no, other than that, I don't really I'm quite I think because I've been in this business so long, I've got quite good at just putting things out of my mind um, when I. So if I decide not to go for a part or if I or if I do go for it and don't get it, yeah. I'm quite good at just thinking, OK, move on, because otherwise you would drive yourself a bit so crazy. You, you don't do buyer's regret then. You're quite good at that. Yeah, I'm very, I you think don't... I've got got very good at just thinking, no, it's fine. It's fine. This is this is all good. It's all you know, it's all happened for a reason all right rebecca <laughs> lovely to see you again lovely to see you as Thank always you. rebecca from what a lovely lady what a great guest the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio if you think you can think then think again our next guest has a brain to be admired and is kind enough to share its goodness with us all the latest releases in his school of life series how to think more effectively and how to get on with your colleagues are out now so dishing out philosophy for you and for me is the wonderful alan de botan good morning alan good morning thank you so much you're very welcome two amazing books how to get on with your colleagues a guide to a better collaboration and how to think more effectively how do these books come about how are they compiled um so me and my team at the school of life we analyze human suffering and we think where does it where's it most intense and we try and respond with some thoughts we're in the business of trying to fix people with ideas okay so that's what we do all right and uh, one of the main crimes that we commit against ourselves nowadays is we suffer our success Yes, we suffer our success. Um, absolutely. We, we, we don't allow ourselves to fail well. Um, you know, we hear so much about good success. We don't hear about good failure. Yeah. Uh, good failure is something where we learn, where we accept our imperfections. We have a very hard time accepting that other people who we admire are just as frightened as we are. We, we tend to assume that the fear is all on our side. It isn't. It's universal. What about setting off on the wrong path without knowing it? There's a very frightening paragraph in the first uh, chapter of the book about how to think more effectively on strategy. Well, look, the thing about thinking is we've all got very large brains. We just don't use them, which sounds a little bit rude, but it's accurate. We tend to define our goals in incredibly vague terms and then a surprise when we don't quite reach our destination. Part of the reason why we don't think more sharply than we do is because of anxiety. It's very scary to think. We will do almost anything other than... We love acting and we hate thinking. Um, And the reason is that every time you think boldly and adventurously, you're likely to be questioning some part of your life which is probably in need of attention. Maybe you need to do something in your relationship, take a new tack in your career or something. And we're so scared of doing this that we will check our phones, uh, empty the biscuit tin, etc. Anything other than use our brains. In order to relax ourselves, you know, it's very odd. People don't tend to work very well in offices. This is, you know, a a fact. Now, why is that? It's partly because you're meant to think. Whenever you're meant to do something, it becomes scarier and therefore we get more reluctant. That's why showers are the new offices. I mean, the shower, simply on the basis of how many good thoughts you have in there, are, you know, probably responsible for more good thinking than the average office. And that's paradoxical. It's almost as if when the pressure's off, when we're on a train somewhere and we're just looking at the landscape flashing by or in a cafe and there's a little bit of background buzz or something, that's when the mind's sort of nervous, skittish, controlling sense relaxes and some of the good thoughts that we have um, get through. They also get through at three in the morning. I mean, insomnia broadly is a kind of revenge for all the thoughts that you, in inverted commas, forgot to have in the day. And there they come at 3am and they need to be heard. So, you know, good thinking is is often anxiety-inducing. We don't want to do it, but it's got an important lesson. Think of breakdowns. You know, a breakdown is very often a breakthrough that hasn't found a legitimate way to get to consciousness. So when people suddenly go mad, they can't get out of bed anymore, they fall into a depression, they go manic, etc. Um, often it's because there's something about their life that they want to change. 
that those thoughts have not been allowed calmly into consciousness and then in the end they just burst through and it looks like it's a disaster and it's certainly very difficult particularly for those around but often it's a process of growth all right where do we start with this book um it's all about the workplace our unhappy past i mean the thing about this book i enjoyed it immensely i found that i found uh, how to think more effectively an easier read funnily enough uh, because this is like a, a miniature course in in psychology isn't it you really go for it here. well and also you know office office politics the thing about offices right is that we all gossip about people around us and we try and say in the book that gossip is a slight despair move where you've sort of given up trying to change anything and all you do is just sort of say that one's crazy that one's crazy that one smells that one you know and 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 this is <laughs> this is what we spend a lot of time doing in offices I, I think behind the scenes what we know is um human beings bring the whole of themselves into work and human beings are massively complicated and we keep having this idea that professional life can be relatively simple oh you know we're, we're going to work so work's going to be the easier but work's going to be easier than relationships no 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 it's going to be even harder and you can't talk about the stuff so you know to anyone who's running an office one of the best things to do is to put a large sign over the door saying everybody here is crazy so that at least sets the tone because some of the thing that gets in the way of sort of sanity in offices is the assumption that you know we can't talk about stuff and that there's no weird stuff going on of course there is everybody's bringing themselves to work which means their past their five-year-old self their their problem with their father their you know fear about whatever and so the book goes through a number of things that we probably all recognize if we've spent more than five minutes in an office for example the defensive character if there's if there's one psychological problem that you know more than any other gums up office life it's defensiveness and defensiveness goes like this you say to somebody you know i love this thing it's fantastic but you know paragraph three could you change the last sentence they go hmm that's fine, all right, and you know you've pressed some button, some nerve, and that's because a part of them, they haven't heard, please change paragraph three. They've heard, in their sort of ancestral mind, you don't deserve to exist and I hate you. Now, where's, where's, where's that... Where's that voice come from? It's probably come from somebody who looked a bit like you that they knew when they were seven. Um, But none of that. (laughs) It's it's difficult, isn't it? That's why work is difficult. We can't get to these sub-layers. The other thing that goes on in in offices is that all of us have to be teachers, right? But one of the most puzzling things, it happens in personal life as well, is other people cannot read your mind. It's it's very odd. Small children always think that adults can read their mind. Literally, it takes them a long while to realise, unless I speak and say, what I think, you know, etc. But in offices, there are people nursing the most humongous sulks. They imagine that somebody to whom they've never taught something, how they feel, how they want something done, what they prefer, should somehow be miraculously reading their intentions and be taking appropriate action. How can they? They've not been taught. <laughs> yeah, we've got to stop it there. But um, Alain, as always, absolute joy to listen to you, to be in the same room as you. Thank you so much. OK. If you like Alan Bottom, the cut of his jib, he will be at lifelessonsfestival.com and you can go there for your ticket bundles right now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest will be talking R&R at Life Lessons Fest next weekend and if her book The Art of Rest, How to Find Respite in a Modern Age is anything to go by, you should really pay attention. Please welcome a lady that's bursting with the facts on how to chillax. It's the best of the rest. Claudia Hammond. Good morning, Claudia. Good morning. Welcome to the show. So, Claudia will be twice appearing at lifelessonsfestival.com and it's a weekend this weekend. Uh, so it's on Saturday the 15th and 16th of Feb. Um, tickets still available at lifelessonsfestival.com. Uh, so many brilliant speakers, so many amazing brains under the same roof in uh, the same 36 hours. Uh, let's get the list of the big hitters, including uh, Claudia, who's here now. So the art of rest sounds simple, is simple, um, but has been forgotten and is being forgotten. Uh, tell us about your research first, Claudia. So what we did with with a group of psychologists from Durham University, we created a big survey online called The Rest Test and 18,000 people from 135 different countries filled it in, which surprised us a lot. And we found that two-thirds of people said that they wanted more rest so this means rest while you're awake, not not sleep, but anything you do while you're awake that you find relaxing. And one of the things we looked at was the uh, activities that people found were most restful. And in the book, I, I count down Sunday chart style from 10 down to one, those top 10 <laughs> activities. And what people need to do is to pick the activities that will work for them. They won't all work for everybody. But there are some real surprises that are in there and not in there. So uh, socialising with friends, which you think, oh, that's nice and relaxing. That doesn't come in the top 10. In fact, the top five activities are all things we tend to do on our own, suggesting that partly to rest, we want a bit of a rest from other people and a yeah. bit of a break from them. I like uh, DNIF is my favourite. 
your DNIP, do nothing in particular. That's right. I love that. <laughs> and I do, I've just started doing that at weekends. Um, and it, are you, I mean, obviously, you, you end up not stopping. Uh, but imagine if you'd have organised to do things as well. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Let things find you almost. I think that's the trouble. I think that being busy has become a bit of a badge of honour. We want to be busy all the time and we think that makes us, you know, look important and valued and gives us status when in fact what we need to do for the sake of our mental health and and cognitively so that it, you know, improves our memory if we have breaks but yet we don't want to have breaks. We see rest as, as something we should only do when we've done everything else but we, I think we need to start taking it seriously and, and mapping in when, when will you rest as well as when will you do things and be busy. And it's funny, isn't it, because if, it, if you do something that seems... Not meaningless, but not that important. But the if the side effect of that is you becoming rested or gaining some perspective, then it is very important. So because because the the byproduct of it is is so useful. So on Friday, um, I was a bit stressed with something that was going on last week. It was a good thing, but it was taking over, taking me over, which I didn't like. It was a very, very good thing, actually. But I didn't like it because it was bringing me out of presence. It was making me unconscious, which sounds bizarre, because I was focusing on that instead of just being here now. And it was my little boy's um, birthday party on Saturday, and we hadn't finished this blimmin' scale extra track because it's so complicated, <laughs> and it's really complicated. And he had to go on a cross-country run after school, so I spent the whole of Friday afternoon, and I should have been focusing on this other thing. The wor- Well, part of the world would say, oh, you need to be doing this. And I thought, no, I've got to do this track because it's really important because it's his birthday party. And I spent three and a half hours doing it, and I didn't finish it properly and he had to finish off because he knows it better than he knows his track inside out and i don't but the three the three and a half hours flew by and by the time i'd stopped doing it i was completely back in the moment and the other thing that was supposed to be important you know it had it been quite rightly put in it put in its place by whatever it is that i'd been helped with and i thought wow that's so simple and it, it seemed so menial what I was doing, but it actually was really, really important for a load of uh, silent reasons. Yeah, and that was restful, the thing you were doing, because it completely absorbed you. And if you can find those activities, you know, the uh, psychologist Mahali, Chicksent Mahali, called this flow, where you find the activities that completely absorb you, you don't even notice, you're sort of out of time, it's not that time goes fast or goes slowly, you don't even really notice it going. And that might be painting for one person or gardening for another person or making skeletrics for someone else. It can be any, be any of these things that really allow you to stop worrying it's mostly about these these thoughts that go around in your head worrying often about the future if you can find the thing that stops those just for a while and not all the time it's all about getting the the rhythms of rest and activity um, so in fact in our survey the people who got too much rest if you like where the rest was probably forced upon them so perhaps they were ill and couldn't do very much or perhaps they were unemployed and didn't want to be and, and didn't have very much to do their well-being was lower again so there's a sort of perfect point of the amount of rest that you can have right final chapter is very important well, the the final, so the final chapter is finding the perfect prescription yeah. for rest. So finding the perfect prescription for you because the same activities won't work for everybody. So it's a question of thinking which of these activities are the ones that are really allowing me to um, uh, relax and, and stop and stop worrying mainly and to find those activities. And then to say, oh, I'm going to prescribe myself 15 minutes of that activity. So the thing I really like is gardening. I've got a tiny garden. But now if I'm, say, working at home, when I should be working, I'll allow myself to go outside for 15 minutes start doing stuff in the garden and just think this is good for my I'm not going to feel guilty this is good for my mental health and this is what I'm going to prescribe myself this is my excuse anyway and then the moment I do that you can feel this sort of I feel this wave of calm coming over me and that will be different things for different people and it's the question of finding what that is giving yourself permission to do it and allowing that and also accepting that your to-do list this sounds depressing, but your to-do list will never end. So people will often think, well, I'll stop when I've got through the whole list. But even if you can get through your whole list one day, there will be more on it the next day because unexpected things will happen for the rest of your life. Pipes will leak. People will get ill. All sorts of things will happen. <laughs> Tell that Basil Ehrman. And Pipes exactly. will leak. People will get ill. Politicians will philander. <laughs> we need to accept those things. I love that. So accept your list. OK, great. Lovely to talk to you, Claudia. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Ver- Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.